Radio shows you love from the people you know. This is Sam Talks Technology. Hello and welcome again, Marlo, and welcome to the web. How are we? It's Wednesday. It's just gone two o'clock. And yes, you're listening to Sam Talks Technology. Thank you for joining us. Uh, my guest today is a very good friend of mine, Andy Evans. Now, let me tell you a little bit about Andy before we bring him on mic. So, Andy has just recently sold his business and he is, I called it semi-retired, but he's actually in between looking for his next opportunity. And he's a serial entrepreneur. He started out uh, selling his, well, concert tickets and uh, records and various trips at the age of 15. And we're going to learn about how from that point forward, he had several entrepreneurial businesses that he's been successful at. Um, also, we're going to learn a little bit today, oh, uh, hopefully a lot of bits as well, about uh, the future of online publishing, the future of advertising, and possibly the future of podcasting as well. Maybe even radio, who knows? Um, Andy's a multi-talented person, and I'm really pleased to welcome you on board, Andy. How are you? I'm very well. Thank you very much for having me. It's a pleasure to be here. It's been a long time coming. We've been talking about it for a while, but here we are, finally. Finally, yeah. It, it, it had to take you to leave a company before you got here, though. It did, yeah. <laughs> we, we were talking about it while I was still at the last company, and so which I left on the 1st of May. Um, and now, actually, I've been busier since I left than, than I was when I was there. So, But we've managed to squeeze it in. And anything for you, of course, I'm always pleased to hang out with you and speak with you. Yeah, well, we've known each other, what, 20-odd years? Yeah, we were just going back over that and trying to work out actually where it all started. But um, that doesn't matter. What matters is that we're here today, right? <laughs> exactly. <laughs> we just had a lovely lunch down at Cooper's in Marlow, which I always enjoy. So, um, Andy, you, you said you've just left the company. Let's find out what was that company and how did you come to be in it? So you had a company before it as well. So maybe you can tell us about what that was as well. Sure. Um, so I was most recently working with a company called Sovereign. They're uh, based in Boulder, Colorado. Um, I sold my business, which was called OnScroll, to, uh, to Sovereign back in um, 2016. Um, and I, a part of that deal, I was required to stay there on a three-year earnout, which um, which finished recently, and hence the decision to uh, to move on to the next thing. Which uh, who knows what that's going to be? You know, yeah. I'm looking at lots of different things as we've spoken about. So yeah, well, we might even touch on a few of the things we're we will, working yeah. on. Um, so what was on scroll? Explain what on scroll was then. Yeah. So I, I've been working in digital advertising since the year dot, since sort of 1999, uh, and even before that, certainly 1999 is when I first started my my first digital business. And um, uh, and over the years, you watch and you you see how the industry goes, and you, and you see nuances and abrasions and problems with the industry. And, and I'm always that kind of guy that wants to try and fix a problem. So in 2011, 2012, I noticed that um, we we were I was in a business net communities we were selling advertising for people and i noticed that there were lots of adverts that um, appeared what we now call below the fold which means not on the screen so if you look at your screen in front of you right now if you have one at home you um you can see what's on the screen at the moment but if you if you uh, think about the page is loaded it's, it's loaded very very long all the way down below the screen and that's what we call below the fold now historically adverts were being loaded uh, into the, the 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 screen below below the screen into into the the page render below the screen. So effectively, advertisers are paying for adverts that that um, were not weren't getting well, weren't being displayed. displayed. Yeah, weren't being displayed. Yeah. Now, if you're selling advertising, the problem with that is that those ads are of no value and they're 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 not worth anything. They're not being clicked on. They're not creating brand uplift and so on. So. I, I was like, okay, these are useless adverts. We've got millions of ad opportunities that we can sell. Let's find a way of, of stopping them. 
Um, so created some technology which um, stopped the adverts loading below the fold. And then one sleepless night, and I've had lots of these sleepless nights where I had these crazy <laughs> every, ideas come up, you know. Every entrepreneur has had a sleepless night. <laughs> and uh, one night I was just like, hang on a minute, if we can stop the ads loading below the fold, what about when they do come into view, when people start scrolling the screen? You know, can we load the advert then? Do we know that, 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 that someone's on that page and so on? So... I went back to the tech team. I've always been a bit geeky and techy, but commercial and media savvy. And, and um, I spoke to the tech team and said, this is what I want to achieve. I want the ad to load when it comes on the screen. And they went back and forth, back and forth several times. We weren't achieving it. It wasn't happening. And then one day the developer came in and showed me exactly what I'd asked for. And it was one of those moments, almost like falling in love. My stomach turned. Like, oh, my, this is, wow, this is game-changing. It's your eureka moment coming to life. Absolutely. And, and you know, and it may sound like a, you know, a small thing, but it's, it's really big. There's billions of dollars worth of advertising revenue that goes to waste as a result of this problem. So, you know, the industry was very, was, was starting to become aware of it. And, um, you know, it was one of those amazing timing, you know, moments in time where I got the timing absolutely right um, by hook or by crook. And, you know, I come across this problem a little bit earlier than most other people. So I came across it in 2011, 2012. And by 2012, 2013, the industry had coined uh, uh, a word called viewability, um, which was this issue. And, and I'd solved that issue with this technology. And, of course, the timing was perfect. We created a company called OnScroll which then sold that technology into publishers to help them solve the problem. Um, so so create- which publishers? Give us some examples. Who, who, who were your clients then, maybe? Um, I'm not sure I'm actually in a position where I'm allowed to share the names oh, of the clients that okay. they have at the moment, but they were all pretty big. Just to say that I think right now, one of the last time we, we looked at it, um, about 50 to 60% of the top 1,000 publishers in the UK okay. have it on their That's website fine. in some way or form. So it, it, when I explain it to people, it's almost like having invented a little a little widget that goes in, in, in your water uh, in your water pipes that makes the water go faster. Right. You know, it's just one of those things that you don't see. It's under, it's under the counter and uh, it's just there. It works. No one knows that the publishers have it. Your intel it, inside. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Okay, so on the scroll, great idea. Um, did you need to raise funding? Did, was it self-funding? How did you get the thing going? Yeah. Um, I, in that case, um, I self-funded it. Um, and, uh, you know, I, I've, I've been in businesses where the, we've raised funding before. And one of the things, one of the many things that I do now is I mentor businesses and I invest in businesses and um, I advise businesses. I work with lots of different kinds of businesses and different levels. Um, but something that, that they'll all hear me say on a regular basis is actually do everything you can not to raise money. Um, you know, you, you have two things that are really important in your business. One of them is the equity that you own um, and the other one is the cash you have in the bank. Don't give that away easily to anybody because for every pound that you take in on investment right now, you might be giving £10,000 away tomorrow and you need to think about the £10,000, not the pound that you're giving away today. Um, and also you lose control of a business as well. So, you know, at the moment that we actually sold the business, I had a, a, a business partner, Babak, who was, um, you know, was my business partner in OnScroll. Um, you know, when we uh, when we sold the business, we had complete control over the business. Um, had we had investors, the investors might have said, mm, we probably would like you to sell it for more. Um, so you should hold off. 
Um, whereas actually for Babak and I, selling the company at that point for that amount of money was life-changing. And, um, you know, we might have missed a window. Uh, you never know when you're going to have another opportunity to sell a company. And, you yeah. know, so, you know, by not having investors, that put us, I believe, in a better position. Yeah, Point Castle worth £700 million in Web Wanderlo, and mm. about three weeks later it was worth nothing. Yeah, remember that. And, again, Zuckerberg nearly so, sold Facebook for a billion and he decided not to, and now it's worth hundreds of billions, you know. Yeah. So timing could go either way. Timing is everything. Timing is everything. There's actually a really interesting um, TED Talk, and I should try and remember who it's by, but it's one of the big Silicon Valley uh, VCs, and, and he said, we've looked at all of our investments, and um, we tried to work out, you know, is it the people? Is it their location? Is it the idea? Is it how much money we gave them? What, what is it? And every day of the week, in every scenario, it's always about timing. Was that product uh, the right time, the right place? I mean, we talked about podcasting, right? Yeah. So I started the very first podcast production company, Podcast Voices and Video, in 2005 in the UK, the very first one, and where we were working with Lonely Planet, Sony PlayStation, we did the Top Gear podcast and so on, but we were way too early to market. And, right. and that business, in the end, wasn't successful um, because we were just ahead of the curve. And so you can have a great idea, you just might have the wrong timing. So timing is everything. I mean, we will come back more to that but, but when did you know it was the time to close it? That's an interesting thought because most entrepreneurs, no, it's my baby, I've got to keep going. Mm. It, it, it will, it'll be right next week. I'll raise more funding. I'll do that That client that I really want. It's just around the corner. Yeah. You, it, they very rarely give up. Yeah. Why, why did you know it was the wrong time and how did you make that decision? It's not just that decision. There's lots of other decisions like that that I've had to make in my life and I think you, you learn... Uh, not not to be too emotionally involved in the businesses that you have and to make real clear business decisions. Um, took me many years to learn that, but um, I think you, you have to look at it and be realistic. Um, in the case of Podcast Voices, we were spending our life evangelising, talking to the, the market and the industry about how great podcasting was going to be. Now, look at it now. It, it's amazing. But it, that was 2005. So, we, you know, we're talking, you know, many years have passed uh, to actually get us to where we are today. And, um, you know, we ran the business for three or four years and uh, we had a lot of fun. Um, you know, we, we worked with some really great people. Um, but financially it just wasn't paying back um, and um, and we just couldn't see a point where it was going to pay back because podcasting just wasn't growing at that point um, it wasn't in the public domain people didn't understand how to how to download a podcast and nowadays it's much easier you know you can jump on Spotify or whatever and just there it's, it's available um, back then you, you would have to download apps and connect to pre, RSS was this pre-iTunes as well? yeah yeah. Wow. Well, okay. it, was, it, was, it was early days of, of iTunes. And, and in fact, one of the things that did give us success at the time is that we built a really great relationship with the guys at Apple and iTunes. And, you know, they knew that whenever we produced um, a podcast, it was going to be a good one. And they would, they would put it up on the homepage for us. So, you know, we, we, we were able to use that as a, a marketing device when we were working. People say, look, you know, we're pretty sure that we can get you on the Apple homepage and we can get downloads. But again, even then, it was still very early days. I mean, we might as well talk about it because we are into it. Yeah. So w what were you doing? You, you were actually physically doing the full production from start to finish. So 
Can you talk about, say, for example, the Top Gear one as an example? How, yeah. how would that have worked? So the Top Gear one was um, uh, mostly based around the Top Gear live events, the the events they would put on. I, I think to remember they were either at XL or Olympia or, or one of those places. I think imagine probably even toured around. So um, we would we would work with the Top Gear presenters to produce a bunch of shows talking about what was going to happen at those events, getting people excited about it. So it was a marketing vehicle uh, and also a, you know an educational podcast. Um, so, you know, we would do all the scripting, we'd do all the recording, all the editing, all the jingles and so on. Then we would do, you know, we talked earlier about how difficult it is to then take the, the finished file and then distribute it and put it live and do the SEO behind it and all those kind of things. So we would be like a turnkey solution, everything you needed to do from A to Z to get a podcast live. Um, and then we would work with the talent that we were given to, to make that happen. So maybe it's time to dust the old uh, business plan off on that one and bring it out. <laughs> Believe me, I know, since, since uh, podcasting has become even more popular recently, I've had a few emails and phone calls from some of my colleagues who uh, might listen to this and say, yeah, I've, I've come on, Andy, let's do it again. <laughs> well, I think they were saying now 750,000 podcasts worldwide currently. Mm-hmm. Um, the audience is growing rapidly of listeners. Um, and yeah, it seems that now is the second coming of, of podcasting, really. Yeah, it's exciting. It's great because um, personalization. People, I mean, if we look at the success of Amazon, Amazon. If anybody's ever read the book The Long Tail, right? Part of the success of Amazon is about the uh, the choice that you have. That you can go to Amazon, you can buy anything that you want, any color, shape, size, or whatever, and you get a big. You know, in the days of Woolworths, um, yeah, you get you know the top ten of everything, but you would never get the top thousand or top two thousand. So you have that long tail. Same with with podcasting right now. You everyone, there's, there's something for everybody. Whatever you're interested in, whatever your bent of comedy is, or you know whatever kind of t- car you're into, there's there's if you're passionate about something, there's a podcast. Um, and so you know, and, and it's all very very freely available now. And and um, and, and that will that will continue to grow. There's lots of potential there still. Well, I think it's going to go even bigger because uh, Apple and Google recently announced that they're going to be um, tra- auto transcribing podcasts, yeah. and Google's going to be adding it to the Google Index. So you might be searching for a topic about online publishing and advertising, and up comes a podcast of this show with the snippet that you've been talking about. You click on it, it takes you to the podcast. Yeah, and that, that's so important, right? Because you know you're saying there's so many podcasts out there and so many niche podcasts with so much great content in how do you find the episode you're interested in yeah. you know I, I, and I, I've listened to a whole bunch of your Thank shows you very much. and they're great but I don't listen to all of them because I don't have the time but yeah. I, I pick and choose the ones that I think are going to be interesting uh, for me but maybe I'm missing a, a trick here because I, I don't know what the content of each one of them, them no, is nor so. do I so we're, we're both <laughs> in the same place <laughs> Hopefully this one will get plenty of listens. I'm sure it will. Um, So, okay, so podcasting is is evolving. Um, Just as a tangential, I think radio, we're on radio, I think music Mm. radio is going to disappear. Really? Yeah, there was a brilliant report out recently which said the the, the likes of Spotify and Mm. and Amazon Music and, and all of those services fundamentally you can listen to any music genre you want when you want where you want you know it's ubiquitous you can be in the car the 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 uh amazon alexas and google assistants mm. there was a stat which said that you know 85 percent of all the people who use them don't listen to new music they mm. listen to old music yeah because they have no recall to new music so they go uh play me madame a play me oh what shall we have oh the rolling stones mm. and 
they, they, they can't think of what they want. Or, and so um, that's the role of music DJs is to give you that new yeah. music. But a lot of people don't um, do that, really. You know, they, they've gone back to their safety. I don't know what your current choice of music is, right? But most of us at our age, mm. you know, sub... Sub-60, early 50. Talk for yourself. <laughs> okay. Uh, it's okay, black don't crack and it's the radio. <laughs> um, most of us go back to, you know, listen to music we want. Very few of us listen to new music, only the kids, and the kids aren't listening to radio. They're listening to their mates and they're getting tracks. Mm. Whereas talk radio um, is becoming more and more popular. Mm. And podcasting is then the subset of that, which yeah. is, you know, the recorded version of it. So I think, Talk radio and podcasting will become much more uh, prevalent, mm. um, and I think music radio will become less. It's accessibility, isn't it? You know, even though we're saying podcasting is so much easier, um, it's still like, well, what, what, what am I going to tune into? Yeah, and um, and actually, you know, mucking about on your phone, connected to your car to find the podcast you want to play and it's like oh you know we get in the car stick the radio on bang you're off you know that's um you know so everything is you know radio is still very very accessible and very yeah. very easy uh, i think that yeah i agree that maybe things might change over time i don't think that's coming immediately because people still do want whatever is easy and even if you have alexa and people again the recall what music do i really want to play what yeah. album do i want you know i always think oh, oh that music i was thinking about the other that's a really cool album what was it called and who's the artist and you know how do you um you know it's, it's very difficult to um to make it really accessible so you know until things are super accessible and just flick of a button or, or one thing you might say you know you might say play that album that i played three days ago that sort of goes la di da di da well you can't you can <laughs> you, literally say to a uh, smart assistant you know the music that play the track that's got this phrase in it that's right, right. yeah uh, and last week in the uk they, they launched the service which has been in the states for a little while which is follow an artist mm -hmm. um and i can imagine it you will eventually follow a podcaster right mm -hmm. so that's the way you subscribe you won't have to go and find the subscription or follow podcasts that talk about technology right yeah and then it will bring you a whole host and you choose the one you want yeah. um and the way that the amazon one's going to work is it'll light up and say oh you know you, you followed mark ronson well his new album's out yeah, or his yeah. new single's out mm -hmm. so discoverability will becoming that way so th yeah. i think there's some really niche and uh, not niche new exciting ways that um we are going to get discoverability because that's the yeah. problem when you've got seven hundred and fifty thousand podcasts discoverability is the problem mm. um same with apps you know most people now are app tired as i call it you know there was, in the early days you used to load oh look there's a new app let's load it load it load it now you know and you'd have nine pages of apps and now i probably only have about one page of extra apps mm -hmm. i just can't be bothered yeah yeah um i don't know maybe yeah andy time to time to maybe that's one of your in the drive home maybe to consider i'm sure you'll get about 50 <laughs> phone calls from your mates going yeah andy go on we'll start that one again let's do it <laughs> um okay so on scroll you sold sold that to sovereign limited yeah. you, you're now um looking at new opportunities but mm -hmm. let's take a little step back down memory lane yeah andy 15 year old little entrepreneur what were you doing um yeah you know i don't know I don't know what made me entrepreneurial, and I'm not, I imagine not a big fan of the word entrepreneur because I think anybody can label themselves. It. Well, I can't say it. <laughs> oh, oh. So, um, I just, you know, I don't know. It, 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 
it sounds a bit fancy. Um, at the end of the day, I, I just, I, I, as a young lad, I was interested in how can I make money, right? So in a very basic form, I used to go out the weekends and wash cars, right? So make money washing cars. And then I managed to get enough cars going and I then get my mates coming out. I've been washed cars so that I can make more money and make a bit of money off them, right? Um, and then at school in the in the sixth form common room, um, I'd listen to people talking about music and records and, you know, obviously there's a day of vinyl and so on and early days of CDs. And... Um, and people talk about, oh, you know, I love that track by The Cure, and I've heard there's a limited edition, you know, version of the vinyl out, you know, yeah, coloured vinyl, or whatever, that. right? Yeah. So, and so I would go and I'd go to pick up Record Collector magazine, I'd find these records and I'd buy them, and then I'd bring them into the common room and go, who wants to buy it? And make a bit of money, right? So, but you see, that's not normal. <laughs> Why not? No, because most, most teenagers at that time were playing sport, thinking about the party or the girl they want to go with, right? Most I was a bit of, them, of a geek, yeah, all right. <laughs> <laughs> no, I'm, I'm, I'm in total admiration of you, but but it's not normal. I mean, I guess not. to have that entrepreneurial spirit at such a young age, there are. Mm. Yeah, I mean, now I think the, the number one YouTuber who made $4 million last year is a seven-year-old, yeah, right? Yeah, um, Opening toys. That's right. Um, and you've got various other, you were talking about a 14-year-old entrepreneur you know who's got um, uh, a YouTube, YouTube channel. YouTube. Well, he started and, at 13 and he's 20 now, but yeah, he's, he's, he's probably made more money, you know, in, in those years from 13 to 20 than most people make in their whole lives. Yes, yeah. and, and social uh, influencers, you know, on Instagram are making lots of money and, and mm-hmm. whatever. So it is becoming more the norm, yep. but back in uh, <clears throat> the 80s, let's say, yeah. um, it wasn't the norm, was it? it? it no, I, I don't think it was. And it, it, I don't think it was as easy to be entrepreneurial. I mean, I suspect that, um, you know, my dad might have been more entrepreneurial in his generation, you know, were things a little bit more flexible to be able to do that. But, you know, I lived in a generation, you know, the Thatcher years and so on that, that started to open up uh, those opportunities. And um, so, yeah, you know, I would sell records and then, um, and then I love music and, and, I, and my mum and dad were really very you know relax with me going up and down to london to go and see shows so i would go up to to wembley and so so on and go and go and see pop concerts and and you know because my mum and dad were a little bit more relaxed with me doing that and my friends would go hey where'd you get the tickets for those concerts you know can i come with you yeah so i, I would say okay great I'll, I'll buy you some i'll get you some tickets and um uh, and then i'd make a little bit of money a on top, young right? harvey so, goldsmith in the making well it's funny you say about harvey goldsmith because <laughs> I got a letter from Harvey Goldsmith, right? Really? I got a letter. This is that how was just out of the blue. By this the is way. seriously. This is how it all came about. It's really interesting. Um, I um, I got to the point where um, you know, on my mum and dad's credit cards, I was buying tickets for all these shows, but I ended up buying like 20, 30, 40 tickets at a time. And one day, this letter came through the post from Harvey Goldsmith Promotions and prom- Productions Promotions. And uh, you, we've noticed that you're buying large quantities of tickets. If you're buying them and reselling them, you have to buy them from us, the producers, the, the production company. Thought, okay, so I got in contact with them and um, said, well, well, okay, I am, and, you know, let's do this, right? So, and, and I started buying, like, 50, 100 tickets. So it's, like, Michael Jackson, Tina Turner, New I Kids probably bought block, a ticket from that. you at some you point. You may well have done. And... and and um, I mean, you know, I talked about I talked about the radio story on this as well. That was because we used to link it in with the radio. Um, so you know, before I knew it, I was you know I was buying hundreds of tickets to shows and selling them. And one of the ways that I promoted them was I just got in contact with the local radio station. And I said, "Hey, do you want some free tickets um, to give away on the radio? You just need to mention the name of the uh, of, of the ticket company." And they go, yeah, fine. You know, so built some relationships with some of the presenters, and they would have competitions to give away. And um, and it grew from there. And we, we we would take sometimes three, four coaches of, of people up to uh, up to London. You know, 
<laughs> some of the most the funniest ones are like Cliff Richard you know the oldies going up to see Cliff Richard and you know they were more you were really want, the one who wanted it well they were they were more troublesome than some of the people going <laughs> to see new kids on the block <laughs> and how old would you have been around this time frame 16 15 16 wow. 16 yeah that's amazing yeah so um but it's a lot of fun you know and and it it was you know one of the things that learned very quickly there is that um i i bought um i want to say a block or so of tickets i mean that's like it's, it's a good few hundred tickets to, to the pet shop boys at wembley and um uh, this was just as the a recession was kicking in and people were spending less money going out and and you know, people might argue as the pet shop boys but it might also be that there was a recession all at the same time we just couldn't tell to sell the tickets and tickets are perishable right so if you don't mm. sell them you don't get your money back yeah. you, you you lose them and um and you know it was getting to the point where i was going up to wembley myself and standing outside and touting and trying to sell the tickets that left over and and on this one particular day um you know i i had like a great big pile of tickets in my hand and there were people queuing up outside wembley at the box office trying to buy tickets and I was going up to people in the queue saying here have a free ticket you know just you don't need to buy tickets I just can't sell them and they wouldn't even take them off me for free because wow. they thought I was some strange guy you know yeah. why is he giving away tickets no one gives away tickets yeah, yeah. That's really, but I just couldn't sell them right so um, so there I was sat <laughs> the pet shop boys with <laughs> me and my mate and you know about you know a couple hundred seats around us that we hadn't sold and um, and we pretty much lost all the money that we, that we had to keep reinvesting into uh, into tickets. Oh my word! So that was again. It was another hard lesson. Like, okay, that's the end. And you know, and I drew a line under it and, and stopped selling tickets at the time. Gosh, yeah. So we're not going to be playing any pet shop boys for you today, then. <laughs> I don't mind the pet shop boys, but I've got some bad memories. Clear. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so the young entrepreneur. So your natural evolution was you went to university, you got a big degree you got your first corporate job you know is that how life moved forward for young andy evans no no definitely not how did it go forward no i'm i'm a i'm a big fan of the school of life and um so you know at the age of 16 um i I went straight into into work yeah Uh, i went straight into media um Again, I mentioned I, you know, I had a, a great nurturing family. Um, my dad was in marketing, and uh, he opened some doors for me into media. And um, and and for a number of years there on, up until 1999, I worked in um, media and advertising in various different guises. Um, and uh, and and you know, my learning, um, you know, wasn't college university it was meeting people and learning about things and and um asking questions and you know go to 10 people and say what what does this mean or how does this work or how do you think this is going to go in the future and i'll just ask lots of people and take two or three things out of that and and make them my learnings and that was my school of life of actually being in work and learning on the job and and so on so um you know it, it you know, I think schooling is fantastic. I've got two young children of my own who um, I think it's really important for them to have schooling. I'd love for them to go to university and so on, you know, because the experience is fantastic. But, you know, you know make great friends forever uh, at that point. But equally, you know, some good learnings as well. Um, but equally, you know, you, you, you can go straight into the school of life and still be pretty successful. Strangely, Simon Cowell, who obviously does X Factor, billionaire, uh, for his own son, he's he's thinking of the school of life rather than the school of university. Um, I personally have got a 19-year-old daughter who's just at uni now, and had she had an entrepreneurial background, I would have advised her not to go to university. I don't think university adds 
a fundamental great deal to their education. Mm. It adds to their independence and their their personal growth having to live away from home having to learn to shop cook clean all those things and you know manage themselves and that part of going away is good but that's just that's the school of life as well that's yeah well on, on that what what i did you know again i've been through a couple of recessions in in life and uh you know you you, you make your decisions about what, what you do at those times but um I was um, I was working in an ad agency. Uh, I was pretty successful. I was 21. I was driving a sports car, beautiful girlfriend, did lots of money. Everything we you know, perfect life. Everything was great. Um, recession kicked in. You know, the the agency was starting to make people redundant, and eventually, I became you know, one of the casualties. Uh, incidentally, I'm still very good friends with the CEO of, of that uh, agency. We're still very good friends, and, and it's one of the best things he ever did for me was kicking me out and right. making me redundant. Because the next thing I did was uh, I had about by the time I sort of sorted out things at home, I had five six hundred quid in my pocket, and um, I went off travelling for a year. And um, you know, my parents thought I was a bit balmy, and uh, I was going on my own. Uh, I went to Israel, Egypt, and Turkey. Again, it was slightly unconventional in terms of the places I was going to. But that experience was, was you know, really life-changing. Um, and I think that what I got from that was maybe all the things that I m- maybe might have got some of those things from university, looking after yourself, coping for yourself, budgeting, cooking for yourself, meeting people, socialising, learning. And, of course, then you had the cultural uh, opportunities to, to meet different people from different cultures. And it wasn't just people, you know, the, the Israelis, Egyptians and, and Turkish, that, you know, it was all the other people, the South Africans and Australians and New Zealanders and so on, who, you know, you were meeting on the way as well. And, it, you know, you, you, you learned a lot about life very, very quickly. So I would certainly advocate, you know, travel time uh, for, for, you know. Oh, yeah. I mean, I've said to my daughter, as soon as she finishes her degree, I wanted to go travelling. It could be two, three years, as far as I'm concerned, because... Um, for everything you just said meet people learn about things see the world open your eyes yeah. grow up a bit more you know at 25 go and find what you want to do then you know and if it is corporate world you want to do at 25 it's still the doors open yeah. right yeah uh, and if it's an entrepreneurial thing because you've gone around the world you've seen a new idea you've found a new uh whatever opportunity but i'll help you start that yeah but, but i don't want her to be one of these cannon fodder kids as i call them mm. you know i've got my i got my t1 from wherever and then i'm going to go and work for wpp in the middle of advertising or pr and it's like no you're just going to end up photocopying and making coffee and yeah. earning crap money and and you're in a dead-end job at 21 forget about it mm. you know and i don't want her to be there and, and if if she as i said um I tried to get her into programming, no interest. She's not very entrepreneurial, sadly. Mm. Um, so, you know, had she been, I would have said, do textiles. That would yeah. have been a better option, you know. Yeah. Go, go and build a business, go to textiles, get your 150000 start mm. your business, and, and, you know, see if you can make it, right? Yeah. Spend a couple of years doing that, and if you fail, don't worry about it. It's not the end of the world. Failure is not you know the end of the world it's um yeah it's a learning curve yeah programs like Techstars are, are fantastic as you know i'm a mentor with with Techstars. Yeah, and um strangely you know, there you go um <laughs> so and you know and, and they find some fantastic you know innovative businesses and 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 they have a bunch of mentors and educators that come in and they help them understand you know it's, it's the university of, of building a business um really really valuable and um so but you know hey look you know, kids are going to find their own route in life you know we, all we can do is nurture them and guide them and, and, and they'll find their own way what I would say though about you know work experience and so on is that you know through the businesses that I've grown have always been you know 
reasonably small to medium-sized businesses had never really gone above 60, 70 people, certainly in terms of the, when I've owned them, when they, when they get sold and they grow much faster after, after that through the acquisition. But, um, you know, we used to have people come and work with us for work experience and they'd almost be a bit disappointed that they didn't get that work experience at Microsoft or Accenture or, or wherever it was that they were trying to go to. But by the time they finished their work experience with us, they were over the moon because they learned so much more. Whereas their friends who had got into the bigger uh, companies, it was photocopying and shuffling paper and so on and sitting in boring meetings. Whereas, you know, with us, like, they needed to do real work. And, needed to, you know, and we would send them all the way around the business and learn accounting and marketing and sales and admin and, you know, have them out at events and all kinds of other bits and pieces. And what they would learn in a very short period of time with us was... You know, I think ten times more valuable than anything they might have learned. So my advice to the people out there would be, you know, if you've got a, a kid, you know, son, daughter that you want to get out into work experience, you know, don't don't get um, you know overawed by the the concept of working in a big business. There, of course, there are benefits to that. If you really want to work in banking, sure, go out and work with one of the big banks. But um, equally, you know, if you just want to go out and learn about business, you know, you, you're going to learn it really quickly in the small business. Yeah, I agree. I mean, friend's daughter went, <coughs> fundamentally went to WPP, right. and she left a year later, just totally dis, dis you know, um, what's the right word I'm looking for? They're disheartened. Yeah. Right? And uh, she, she was like, uh, she's ended up working for a, a fruit drink company, you know, mm-hmm. small startup. She's doing marketing, she's doing sales, she's doing channel. She's Learning doing, tons, I bet. Yeah, absolutely. And, you know, she's yeah. going talking to buyers at Sainsbury's and Tesco's, and she's absolutely over the moon. And also, she sees an opportunity. She's got stock options, she's got potentially an upside just from the, you know, the salary's a little bit, bit lower, maybe mm-hmm. or a bit higher. It's not much different. But she knows that she's learning bags and she's going to have potentially if the company's success. Successful, a, a lovely exit route. Yeah. So I guess there's the other side of the coin here as well, and just think about it is that, you know, maybe that she had WPP on her CV was, you know, was impressive to the people that she might work with, but um, again, maybe. You know, that might have helped her get taken out, uh, you know, her CV taken out of a pile as opposed to, um, you know, a smaller company. But um, yeah, I think certainly in terms of what you learn in a smaller company is much more valuable than, than you might. It's not in every case, obviously. I don't want to tire everybody the same brush. No. But, yeah. It'll be interesting to see what you do with your sons. Yeah, I, well, it's not what I'm going to do with my sons. It's what my sons well, are going to do are, for themselves. Well, you are, going to advise so, them. I'll advise them and nurture them. Um, you know, uh, I, I was talking to you last night. I was at a place called Makerversity, which is a really fascinating place out of Somerset House. And um, for those people that understand WeWork and these joint, these, these open working spaces that you can rent, Makerversity is, is like that, but on steroids, um, but only for people that are creators. And uh, and all these creators are working there and, you know, they're they're designing uh, art they're, um, uh, they're they're looking at AI they're designing new types of clothing and new materials and so on and there's always really amazing companies all working together so these guys are like they're starting businesses so it's almost like a, a university again, again a bit like textiles um, and and uh, so you know there are so many great outlets now for for uh, young people that have creativity or have drive or have ambition um, where you can go and you know you build yourself into these places and learn from other people really quickly and share ideas and uh, and, and these people you know they're going to become their business colleagues in you know in, in years to come and, and who knows what that's going to bring and you know the exciting thing about you know somebody that's in AI working with somebody in clothing you know how's that going to come together in 10 years time you know these Absolutely. things will come together yeah, and, and, and will. but bringing these people together right now is going to create 
an amazing fusion of technology and and um, uh, and and things that are going to make our lives hopefully better in years to come. Cool. So okay, so we, we we've stopped selling tickets. Mm-hmm. Um, we've gone to the school of life. Um, you've done, as you said briefly, you did a, a stint within an ad agency. You came yep. out of that. You travelled. What happened next? So I, I came back and um, obviously I was familiar with media and advertising. I'd, I'd been an ad sales guy for, for many years. And um, I'd always loved technology as well. And we, we'll come on to this later. But um, my first uh, computer that I, I had as, as a kid was back in 1981, was a ZX81 with 1K of memory, if anybody remembers that. And, um, you know, very limited. But it, I think my mum said to me it was the first toy she ever bought me that I never took apart. Because always, well, how do these things work? You know, what goes on in the inside? So I was able to program it. I learned to program, right? So, you know, as a kid from 1981, I was always interested in technology. Um, and then when I came back from traveling, I'd been in media, but I'd always, I don't, I don't want to work in, you know, I don't want to work in technology. I'd, I'd previously, we talked to her about a magazine. I used to work in a magazine called Practical Householder. How exciting is that? You know, <laughs> you, you're at the cutting edge of cutting whatever's edge exciting. Of, yeah, yeah. All of, it was all about, you know, driveways and garage doors and all kinds of crazy stuff. And you're still, um, you still read that stuff today, don't you? I, I'm, I'm a bit, yeah, I'm a bit geeky with that. <laughs> but, uh, well, I had great, you know, super, super memories. I worked with some great people, had a lot of fun and, and learned a lot there. But so when I came back, I thought, well, hang on, look, I love technology. And, um, and, I, and I love media. I wonder what will happen if I fuse these things together. And, um, and you know, and, and people always say, and, and I'm 100% behind this, you know, do what you love. And, and, and that was game changer for me. Um, I got the opportunity to uh, launch a magazine that was licensed from Microsoft, uh, which is actually when we met, right? So yeah. we met through, through that. That was the period where we crossed paths. And um, so I was responsible for, for helping to launch um, this magazine. It was called Back Office Magazine. And in fact... Oh, the, God, I remember that now. Yeah, so um, and yeah. It, I'm sure there's a, there's probably a few ex-Microsofters uh, in, in the Marlow area. So, Phil um, Cross, you were talking Phil about. Phil Cross, that. yeah. So, Phil, if you're out there, hi, buddy, how you doing? Um, it's probably down the pub again with another pint in his hand. <laughs> <laughs> no, <laughs> um, So, um, but uh, yeah, so, you know, I've got some, some, some great memories. But so, so I fused together my interest of, of technology and and publishing and um and back office magazine very very quickly became like the most successful magazine within the stable uh, of the publishing company that i was working with at the time it was called bear park it was a division of tpd publishing the, the publishing department and um you know it just became very very successful and i met a lot of really interesting people through that uh, in fact, we're going to meet one of the one of the guys that I met through that this afternoon when we, we finished here for a bit. We're going to the complete angle if you want to join us. See you us. down there, yeah. yeah. <laughs> Andy's paying, by the way. Yeah, thanks. <laughs> um, I think I left my credit card at home, I think. So. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> there we go. Um, so, yeah, uh, so I launched Back Office magazine and um, and ended up uh, having a fabulous career doing that and being involved in, in all of the other publishing magazines we had there. I, I became... Uh, the publishing director of all the magazines there, and uh, and, and and had some some real success, and it, and it was it was good fun. Um, and this was a time when things were tipping between traditional print publishing um, and into into digital publishing, and um, 
you know, we, we had very early access to, um, uh, to email. Um, so the guy that ran TPD, Julian Treasure, was very cutting edge with technology. And thanks, Julian, for access to all of that. That helped my career, and, and as it did many others, to have early access to those things. And um, so, uh, you, you know, we were doing traditional publishing, and then we were starting to get involved in digital publishing. And this was sort of 98, 99. And um, some of the clients I was working with um, would say, Andy, why are you doing this for someone else? Why don't you do it for yourself? You know, you're, you're a bit entrepreneurial. You know, you, you should be doing this yourself. So um, I said, well, it's funny you say that. I've been writing a business plan. And um, so I'd been writing a business plan about starting my own business, which is a pure digital business. And the concept was to bring together all of the best technology news and put it together into one website. And remember, this is pre-Google News and in very early days of, of Google. So um, I touted this idea around, business colleagues and friends and so on, and um, in 1999 managed to raise uh, enough money to start what was Net Communities, my first um, digital business in, in 1999. And um, so that was funded by friends and family and so on. It was incubated by um, uh, a business that I'd, done, I'd, I'd worked with at Back Office magazine. And the guys there helped me to, to build the business and, and, and grow it. So that's when I moved from um, Bear Park into starting my own business in 1999. So did you just see the fact that I remember there was magazines like PC Week and, and, and all those they had like they were like um, thick really thick directories <laughs> I mean it was like the next directory would turn up or you go to the news agent and it was like 900 pages of ads and yeah. about three articles yeah. you know I mean everyone was just advertising those but it must have been like falling off a cliff for those guys the on off digital I, I, over time it didn't, it didn't happen really quickly and in fact even to this day now you know PC Magazine still prints um, you know still still has a print edition um, you know I, I was there there's an industry body called the Internet Advertising Bureau and um, they with PwC they do a report every year or twice a year actually uh, on the amount of money that's spent on digital advertising which of course now into the many billions when I started Net Communities in 1999 um, the IEB weren't measuring and didn't measure until I think 2001. So you know th there wasn't enough revenue in the market to even start thinking about how much money is being spent. So again, you know one of one of my problems in 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 my career has been that I've always been a little bit too early, sometimes a little bit cutting Join edge. That and club. Um, yeah, and and back to what we said earlier, it's all about timing. And you know if you can if you can get the timing thing right, great. And um, you know we were. Uh, you know, we, we were early, but um, so we started out um, like bringing together technology news and aggregating it and, and I created a website called IT Pro Portal, which is like a portal website for you, you probably remember. I remember it well, yes. And um, so started that website, bringing all the news together. And then, of course, Google launched Google News. Um, so, you know, if you wanted to get aggregated content, it was much easier to get it from Google News than an IT Pro portal. Not to say, we, you know, we lost all our traffic. It was fine. But it, clearly there was a competitor in front of us that we needed to think about what we were going to do. So we then started to write our own content and curate content and so on. So we became a publisher in our own right. And, um, and that was okay. But we still, in those early days, 2000, 1999 to 2001, 2002, we were like... We're not really making enough money here. You know, is this a, a sustainable business? This is another one I need to put a line under and just move on to the next thing. Mm -hmm. And um, again, another one of those uh, you know, night, wake up in the middle of the night, oh, I've got this idea. We send loads of traffic to other people's websites and they've got great content. 
but they're really bad at selling advertising. They're not very good at monetizing their websites. So I just started picking up the phone to loads of publishers and said, hey, can we help you sell your advertising space? And um, and, and over the years to come, where well, we ended up representing um, pretty big technology and business websites like Business Insider, Mashable.com, Ziff Davis, which is PT Mag, um, Vox Media, uh, which have The Verge, um, and TechCrunch, and all these guys, and we work with some really big publishers from from all over the world, mostly America. I spent a lot of my life going back and forth to America every sort of six yeah, to eight you're weeks. You're not called Judith Chalmers for nothing. <laughs> yeah, that's you. You're always calling me that on Facebook. Yeah, because I'm I'm always somewhere. I'm, I'm definitely yeah, turning my feet on the ground for very long. Do I? <laughs> no. <laughs> <laughs> I love that. So, okay, so uh, uh, there's a couple of parallels that came out while you were talking. So, fundamentally, you've got a business that was aggregating. I, I have two questions in my head. One was, you, you've come from an, uh, an offline publishing world. Yeah. You, you know how that works. You know how the advertising model works. Mm. Was it easy to convince people in the IT portal space and in, in the aggregation space to, to take online advertising with you? Because you'd had to convince them to do that first before you yeah. took that next leap into convincing them to go... And you would do it for other people. So yeah. you had to learn to get people to come onto your digital platform. Was that easy? No, it was, it, was, it was definitely tough. I mean, the two sides of the coin, you know, one was building the audience and building the traffic, which is, you know, for anybody building uh, an audience, whether it's a podcast or a, a blog or um, whatever it is, it, it does take time. You have to persevere with it. Um, and, um, and then obviously the, the monetization side of things. And, you know, we were, we were inventing advertising formats. We were inventing the way that advertising works, the way that it was being delivered, the way that it was being targeted. I mean, there were no platforms. I mean, I think the, ver- the first version of, um, of IT Pro Portal, there, there weren't even content management systems, which is, you know, the platform that you might build a website on. So people might have heard of WordPress and those kind of things nowadays. You just log on, you set up a website, you can use Wix or any of these kind of things. You can spin up a website in, in seconds now. But back then, there were no. It was literally flat HTML. Everything was. And when you're trying to bring together content, aggregate it, make it searchable, and so on, you know, it was it was really tough in those days to to make all of that happen and bring it together. It was it was a real challenge. Um, but I guess, you know, part of that was, um, you know, the part of the fortunate the, being fortunate in the growth was um, the connections that I. I'd built, you know, and and um, and the people I'd met through Back Office Magazine and through the industry, who who, you know, some of those people came along with me and helped support that, both in terms of investing in the business and also becoming advertisers in the early days to help us get to that next level. Um, but the, the the moment I was saying about earlier, when I um, the, the the moment in the middle of the night where I woke up, hey, you know, I can sell advertising space for other people, and then that's really when the the, the business started to grow, and you know, opened up the the volume of inventory and the the, the, the magnitude of you know advertising positions we could offer, and the, the market was maturing and so on, and, and so um, I ended up running that business for fifteen years. Um, and it you know, had its ups and downs. It was, you know, it, it was a, a tough ride, and I learned a lot, uh, you know, in that ride. Um, and then it was, it was the, towards the end of Net Communities when I started to understand about the issue of viewability we talked about earlier. Um, and uh, and and so then uh, I, I launched uh, OnScroll uh, with Babak. Uh, my business partner and um, and at that time I then went and sold uh, Net Communities to Future Publishing who are a big PLC publishing company um, really to focus entirely on OnScroll because I, I felt like 
you know, net communities had its day. It was great. And there were some good assets within the business. It was, it, and it was good to give it some safe hands, but it was time to move on to the next thing. And, and so, um, uh, you know, moved on to on scroll and, and that's history. And here we are today. So you talked about timing earlier do you think you sold it too early just the right time you know were you on the goldilocks moment did you sell it too hot too cold too soon on scroll yeah no not on scroll. Net communities net communities oh uh <laughs> um in hindsight yeah. now, oh, now, I, now I, you're I, looking back yeah um I, I, i'll pussyfoot a little bit around this but um i that's I had, not like you andy yeah i, I know <laughs> I, I there's a you know um so it, I should have sold it earlier. The answer to the question is I should have sold it much earlier. Um, I had some issues with shareholders and people that are on the board of, of net communities during, during the ride. And um, there were some opportunities that came along that they didn't agree with that I thought were great. And, um, and you know, and we missed them. Okay, um, you didn't take any investors into the next one? No, that what, what, when I did on scroll, yeah. I, I didn't take any investment. That's what I'm I, I did so it you myself. Didn't have yeah, to have that problem. Yeah, because yeah, because I'd learned. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah, go, yeah. And, um, and and not to say that investment is the wrong thing to do. Is there's a time and a place, and you know. But for me, I was fortunate enough not to have to, you know, take investment with the on scroll business. But but with net communities, we had investors. Um, they didn't all understand the business the way that I did. Uh, and there was one particular big fish that got away um, where uh, within Net Communities we, we had a division called Evelopes. Do you like that? Evelopes, the email marketing business. It's a pretty cool name. <laughs> and uh, I, I was going to say, I'm the last person sometimes because I've had some really crap brands in my time. So I'm not, I'm not <laughs> buying Evelopes. That tops it, right? No, no, I think I could. Vicosis. Oh, whatever that is. That, yeah, that was the name was that of a medical my, thing. Oh, it was the name of my first blog, which is supposed to stand for virtual ecosystems and nobody ever got it and yeah, yeah everyone yeah. thought it was a disease that I was selling there you, you know? yeah you don't want to do that no so <laughs> I've sort of gone mm, maybe I'll never laugh at anyone else's brand name anyway Evelopes so I had Evelopes and Evelopes was email marketing so I, I realised that there were all these big US publishers that were collecting email data at the time this is many 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 years before gdpr many many years before privacy and so on and, and sort of email marketing was a pretty acceptable thing at the time so we would find all these publishers in america who were not only collecting local data in the us but actually by default picking up uk and european data as well but of course because they're based in america they didn't know how to monetize that so i would go around and mop up all these data sets and and put them into one data set in the uk and then sell them uh sell advertising uh, on emails there and one of the companies uh i worked with um the guy that ran it um guy called Christopher wolf uh he was um savvy enough to realize that he um that one of the ways he could build his databases is by buying lots of websites that collected data. And one of the websites he bought very early on was MySpace. And um, and Chris wow, Chris okay. wanted to buy. I thought I'd heard the name. There you go, you know that one. <laughs> and, um, and, you know, we were working with Chris on, on uh, the email marketing side of things. And, and Chris said, hey, I love your business. We want to set up in the UK. We'd like to buy the business. And, you know, it was a combination of cash and shares. And, um, and, and I just couldn't pull the deal together. You know, I couldn't get the shareholders to speak to Chris. And they were like, it's not enough money. And, uh, and I felt really excited about it. I wanted to do the deal. I thought it was a really big opportunity. There was something I felt was, was something was right about it. Uh, anyway, one day Chris phoned me up and he said, Andy, I love you, I love your business, but you, your shareholding, the way your share structure is wrong, uh, you need to fix all of that, And um, uh, and but I can't do the deal with you, so thanks and goodbye. 
and um and, and for many years i didn't i didn't i hadn't spoken to him for, for many years after that but nine months later about nine ten months later i think um he then sold uh that business uh, to rupert murdoch for a billion dollars right so now hey would we have been a part of that? Wouldn't we have been? I didn't. I didn't. I didn't know exactly how the deal structure would have worked and so on. But there's a very good chance we would have tagged along with that in some way or another. Yeah. And uh, that was a missed opportunity. And um, and so, um, you know, I, I don't mean to specifically blame anybody, but I think the circumstance I was in made it really difficult to 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 do a deal, uh, and that was disappointing and certainly something I learned from in in the future. Cool. So uh, we're fast approaching the news. Um, when we come back, I really want to start to look at the future of advertising yeah. with you. I, you've got some really interesting thoughts and ideas on that. Mm-hmm. You know, um, we've got challenges today of retargeting, you know, which is basically I've looked at a product, I've got an ad, I've bought the product, and now it's still selling me mm-hmm. the ad. And that's, that's a little bit like the on-scroll problem where I'm not seeing the ad below the fold. This one is I'm seeing the ad after I, I bought. It. Yeah, <laughs> so it's still wasting the marketeers' money and yeah. time. It's still a mm. pointless ad, which yeah. is what you were saying earlier. So I think uh, I'd love to hear your opinion and thoughts on that. Um, but we're going to play your first track. Now, you wanted to hear Howard Jones' new song. Can you tell me why? Yeah, all right, this is going back some, but it really goes back to um, 1981 when I bought... My mum and dad bought me my first computer, a ZX81, and um, I was really interested in technology and what, how that was going to impact the world. And, um, and then in 1983... I saw Howard Jones on top of the pops, you know, playing music. You have the synthesizer over his shoulders, and he's, you know, and so I thought, wow, the technology and music is fusing together. And obviously today, that's just second nature. But back then, this was new, so it got me really excited. So here's Howard Jones. Enjoy this one.
You're listening to Sam Talks Technology, the UK's number one technology show. At least, that's what Sam told me to say. Indeed I did. Uh, One day, you never know, it might well be. But uh, until then, we'll keep going. Um, Welcome back, everybody. You're listening to Sam Sethi on Sam Talks Technology here on Marlow FM, and I'm joined by my good friend Andy Evans. Andy recently sold his business, well, he sold it a few years back on Scroll to Sovereign, and he's now done an exit out. Uh, He's a background in online publishing and advertising and we've just been talking about his entrepreneurial background from the age of 15 forward really Mm -hmm. it's been a fascinating journey so um we've really sort of caught up to where you are today so i'm just going to start to ask you about what comes next for andy evans really you know you're looking around i mean you mentioned the fact that you're you're mentoring companies you're you are an investor into a few companies Mm -hmm. as well can you tell us anything about some of that stuff yeah, um, it's an unusual place. It's, an, it's a new place for me to be um, because uh, generally people like to put people, you know, in, in a box and go, "This is this is Andy Evans. This is what he does." And at the moment, I'm I'm in investigation period. It's not my. I have a business coach. I use a business coach, and I you know talk about you know things that trouble me, and, and he helps me struggle my way through that. And um, he was saying, "You're in creative phase. You know, you're just trying to get creative again." You know, so I'm into everything. I read about things. I um, I'm going to conferences and events. I was at the Can Lion uh, Media Festival last week. In, can you yeah, remember it? Not very well, to be frank with you. I, what I can remember is the chesty cough I've got as a result of staying up till five o'clock in so the morning. So, for those who party. don't know, what is Can Lions? <laughs> well, originally, Can Lion started as a, a, a an award ceremony um, Down and, in and the an South event in, in the South of France in Cannes, yeah. Yeah, the Sun, and so on, and. Um, uh, it was, you know, an agency brand style event um, where people go to win, you know, the the Can Lion Award for best advert, whatever it might be. It's the BAFTA of the industry, yeah, sort of thing. exactly, and you know, and red carpets and and what have you. But what's happened over the years is that the event has grown massively into tents on the beach, sponsored yachts and all kinds of things, and all the hotels are sponsored, and all the big brands in advertising, you know, whether it be. Um, you know, podcasting, radio, um, digital out of home, display advertising, whatever it is, all the technology companies, the publishers, everybody's down there networking and, and meeting each other. Lots of parties on that, uh, lots of rosé. And uh, but it's a, it's a, we talked about serendipity and about you know meeting people randomly and and finding new opportunities. It was a great place to go and learn and meet people and see what's going on. So uh, yeah, it was a great experience, a lot of fun. Caught up with a lot of old friends there and got some water waves, some ideas, but at the same time, it's uh, uh, a lot of partying as well. So, okay. so ideas you can't share with us yet, yeah, there are a few obviously, of those, yeah. that's fine. I mean, um, but you are investing into a couple of companies as well. Can you talk about a few of those, maybe? Yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm still, um, you know, investigating and I'm, I'm going through due diligence on a, on, a, on a couple that I'm pretty interested in right now, uh, involved in various different areas. Um, I mean, you know, I, I've looked at all kinds of markets. The way I'm looking at looking at markets, where, where are there new opportunities and where's there friction that needs to be resolved and where are there, where can a market open? So, you know, I've, I've been studying 5G, for example. Uh, I've been looking at social media influencers and, you know, what's going to happen in that market. Uh, I'm looking at digital out of home, which is, you know, basically your poster advertising that's now turning into digital um, advertising. I think I'm, I'm, I'm really interested in... Um, <clears throat> the the area around that of 
uh, what they call DCO, so it's dynamic content optimization, which is basically how do you deliver adverts online on your desktop, on your mobile, on digital out of home and so on, where they're more personalized towards the individual. Um, not those, uh, you know, really bugging adverts we talked about before, which are the retargeting ones that come and, you know, pester you and say, hey, you know, you were going to buy these pair of shoes. Do you still want to buy them? You go, I've already bought them. Yeah. <laughs> and, you know, so not that kind of thing. This is more like contextual and personal based. So really trying to understand where are you? Is it sunny today? Location what, being important. Location. Context. Weather. Uh, you know, all those kind of things, you know. So uh, um, what else is around you at the time? Um, all of those kind of things and being sensitive to all those things and then trying to deliver adverts which map into all of that um, which are you know useful for you to look at so that's an area I'm looking at um, but uh, actually one of the businesses I've invested in is called Live Force um, Live Force is is totally outside of the ad tech market um, but but what they are building is a is a platform which is um, an end to end platform uh, to to bring together a lot of different processes into into one, and uh, so I felt comfortable with it being technology and SaaS, um, and uh, but the fact that it wasn't advertising, you know, wasn't intimidating for me because. Um, you know, I, I felt like I could understand that market really quickly and bring some of the, the knowledge and experience I had from the advertising world uh, of, of the technology side of it and bringing that to a, a market that hasn't actually had a lot of technology behind it. So um, what makes you think of a company? You've talked about friction. That's one thing. You've yeah. talked about uh, the market they're addressing. Yeah. Uh, how much of the entrepreneur and the team comes into your thinking when you invest? Yeah, I mean, people are really important, right? And, um, you know, so when I do mentoring and, and advising nowadays, um, you know, I, I don't jump in with two feet and say, hey, you know, I can be your advisor and so on. The, 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 with most of the people I work with at the moment, there's no commercial arrangement in any way, um, purely because uh, people need to get to know me and I need to get to know them. And uh, they need to be happy that I can contribute to what they're doing. And I need to be happy I can contribute. And I, I'm confident in them as individuals. I think they've got drive. I think they've got ambition. I think they're, they can deal with issues and, and you know, stand up and, you know, uh, brush themselves off when they fall down. Um, you know, so you need to spend a bit of time going through those experiences with people before you decide you're going to commit to them. Um, you know, so... Uh, it, it, people are important. The idea, of course, is important. I think, you know, I like to be able to bring my edge um, to that. I think you, you asked me for some advice on or some recommendations on books. And, um, you know, uh, one of them is called, um, you have to remind me what it's called. It's, it's Think Big. No, it's... A, yes. it's, it's, it's I'll, I'll, it, we'll get back to you in a minute. I don't, yes. I don't know why I've forgotten it right now, but um, it's, it's a great book and it, it talks about um, category design, right? So, you know, you say, well, what gets me excited about a business idea and a business opportunity? Um, you know, and, and the easy way to explain it is not how is your business opportunity, your business better than someone else's? How is it different? How do you stand out from the crowd and be memorable uh, how do you offer something um, which is, uh, you know, really powerful um, and you stand out but are really useful at the same time? And so, you know, I'm thinking a lot about category design. I'm thinking about, you know, how you can take a, an existing business model and potentially turn it upside down um, and, and approach things in a different way. So that's something that we're working on right now with the Live Force product. So Live Force is... 
Uh, an example of the use of life force is um, is workforce management, or we call it on on demand workforces. So, if you're running an event, I know Marlow here, you have pub in the park, and yep. I, I live in Tunbridge Wells, and we have pub in the park there as well. Fantastic event, really enjoy it. And um, you know, but you, you bring together twenty thirty thousand people over a short period of time. You need to service. You need to service that with you know. You need to have people you know doing ticketing, security, parking, baristas, barmen, all those kind of people helping to to run the event. You might need 100, 200 people to help you do that. Managing those people and organising all that is a is a very complicated affair, um, and there are lots of things you need to do. And traditionally, a lot of people in the industry have used spreadsheets and and, and antiquated platforms to manage all of that. Live Force brings that in a cloud environment. It creates lots and lots of uh, you know smoothing uh, parts that help you manage these events much much easier. I won't go into too much detail, but you can look at the website, lifeforce.co.uk. Um, and, you know, it's it's for the events industry at the moment, but there are lots of other applications for that as well. It might be, um, you know, for midwives. You know, midwives uh, travel all over the country because babies are being bought, born in different quantities in all different towns, so they need to be moved around. How do you manage these midwives, where they've got to be at whatever time? It might be, a, you know, a, a yoghurt demonstrations at a local, local supermarket, and that's happening at 2,000 supermarkets over the country. How do you find all these people sorry, and manage them? As a, de- <laughs> sorry, I just got it. Yoghurt demonstrations no, at a as in, I thought you were going, I hate yoghurt. <laughs> <laughs> suddenly I was going, that would just be weird. You'd demonstrate, I just don't think yoghurt should be sold. No, be dem- I, I love yoghurt. I love yoga I'd be holding up somebody, that banner somebody standing showing you <laughs> sorry my brain just lost it there, there for we a go. minute um the book of the week was play bigger there you go play bigger yeah just yeah. went out of my head for a second there you go um, um about category design i think you know it's, it's just an interesting concept of you know if you have a business of your own you know people get just tied up into how am i better what functionality have i got what do i offer that other people don't offer and, and that's one way of looking at it and you should certainly have those thoughts but actually how are you different how do people rem- remember you why why should they work with you instead of somebody else um i was talking with a girl yesterday who is um building a, a new type of advertising agency you know and it's focused at working with startups which is really interesting but if i'm a startup why why am i working with her instead of somebody just because you specialize in startups so what what have you built within the platform within your services that makes you the startup place to be and so you know you've really got to define that and define your category and be clear about it and why and how uh, you can be different not better um and and stand out from the crowd so I'm, I'm you know and there's another book very similar book which is called the blue ocean strategy um which is you know it deals with the same subject in in a different way um both great reads okay would you call yourself uh, i think there's a term called first check <clears throat> i'll say that again first check so you you're you're the earliest entrepreneur investor type person you know you write that 10 yeah. 15 20 50 i don't know what what would you say your threshold is i mean if or you may not want to say mm. so don't have to but you know are, are you sub fifty thousand? are you sub sub one million <laughs> <laughs> i don't know i mean are you are you the sort of guy who's i'm the first through the door i'll give you that check to validate your business or are you a follow-on investor you know someone else has done the first bit it's de-risked i'll wait for you to get to first revenue yeah. get first customer first where you know where are you first, on first two or three rounds i would say um, Okay. Um, you so know, you won't come I, in I, for that. Um, I, you know, I, I mean, I, I would be 
an initial investor. I mean, certainly with Live Force, I'm co-founder and and oh, okay. investor. So, yeah, yeah. Um, you know, I was the first money into the business. So you were the first um, check. Yeah. And okay. um, so I, I would do that. But equally, there are other investments I'm looking at right now, which is, um, you know, uh, where where a business has been going for five or ten years and is looking to take it to another level, um, or you know restructuring the business, um, and also you know I'm, I'm working with um, you know other people, high net worth individuals who have money, and um, I'm working with you know VCs and angel groups and so on. So you know if I see something that's interesting, I can I can bring it to a group of other people and um, uh, and, and you know help from that perspective. But what I'm definitely not trying to do is to become um a consultant um and somebody that I, i'm not the guy that's like oh andy can you go help me raise 10 million or something i, I probably could introduce you to people but i'm not i'm not going to do that yeah, because not, it's not a business you want to, where no. you want to take a small percentage and run your business through that no. I, i'm interested in getting involved in businesses that i'm really excited about I, I love what they're doing i love the people that are behind it i think i can make a contribution and um if i'm going to act as an advisor or an NED or something like that with them, um, I think I should put, in some cases, put my money where my mouth is and then have that investment. And it might be small. It might be 10, 20, 30 grand or something. But, um, and, you know, to, um, you know, to, to them really buy into it and, and show my commitment to the business and, and, and work with them from that perspective. So, uh, yeah, you know, I'm, again, it's two months since I left uh, my, my last role. And um, so who knows what tomorrow I might bring. You know, six months' time, we'll have another chat and I might yeah, be the doing wife hasn't totally told different. You. The wife hasn't told you what job you're going to do next, Andy. Well, she thought I was going to be under her feet at home all the time and, uh, and I, <laughs> I think she's pleasantly surprised that I'm not. So, <laughs> Yeah, <laughs> happily surprised as well. Not I think she, yeah, 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 yeah. Okay, so mentoring, starting to look at interesting new technologies. You wrote recently about 5G. Yeah. What are your thoughts on well, I, I listened to your um, your interview with Robert Scoble the other day, and you, you talked a lot about it. And um, I think one of the, one of the areas that I was really interested in when I started reading up more on five G was the um, mobile edge computing side of five G, which is um, uh, basically means that when they put up these masts now, they put them up um, with localized cloud cloud computing, um, which means that um, a lot of the computing power can now be done at the mast and not on your handset, which means that now you're going to see handsets get smaller. You don't need the power and the punch of the phone that you have in your hand anymore to be able to do, um, you know, 3D modeling and rendering and all these kind of things. So, you know, and and again, you talked about this with Robert the other day, um, you know, it's not going to be long where you're going to wear a pair of glasses with um, mixed reality or, and I think Robert gave it a different name. Spatial computing. Spatial computing, right. But, you know, just a a SIM card in the the glasses and an 8K screen within the the glasses. You can see everything as normal, but then you can overlay things, augmented reality. And, um, and, you know, that the fact that you're going to make devices much lighter um, both from a fun perspective and and, uh, and also from a practical perspective you know, we all spend a lot of time looking at our phones and walking down the streets and bumping into each other right that's going to stop soon because you know there's going to be another way of doing it and you're going to be aware of your environment and aware of the technology um, and the data that you can get through technology at the same time so I think that that, that could be an improvement I think it might I, I think it, it will improve 
um, the way that people interact with people socially as well. So you won't have necessarily people, you know, I see, you know, my, my son and his mates at school all looking at their phones at the same time. They're in their own little world and maybe sometimes on a game where they can keep competing with each other. But what if they all sat around with some glasses on and they're saying, wow, man, have you seen this new Supreme bag? You know, because they're into Supreme and all those brands right. at the moment, right? Yeah. And, um, and then, you know, they're sharing a VR version of it and spinning it around in front of them and they're all looking at it and pointing at it. Wouldn't it be cool if it's like this? And, and then they start becoming much more engaged with each other. So I think that technology will will write itself and, um, and and that will become exciting. But also, you know, from a medical perspective, you know, people carry um, little computers in their pockets with wires and things connected to their body to, um, you know, to, to, to tra- track all what's going on with them so they can send that data back to their doctors and they can work out, you know, what's happening, are they improving or whatever. And, you know, imagine a time when they don't have to, you know, be weighed down by a computer but literally just got little buttons on their body that they can hardly feel and they can run around and do what they would do normally um, and have a normal life but the data is being you know, connected to 5G at high speeds. It's been, you know, the, the computing power is happening at the mast and the doctor's got the data on their screen straight away and they can get back to you within minutes, um, or, you know, when they detect something as opposed to weeks or months. Yeah, I mean, the new, the new Apple Watch allegedly will have... You know, tracking for diabetes, possibly. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think it already has heart monitoring capabilities, yeah. and it'll involve, and I think, blood pressures and stuff like that. Um, a friend of mine, Jeff Hughes from Microsoft, great guy. Um, we had lunch at the Complete Angle, and he was telling me about some of the stuff Microsoft's working on. Um, you know, and that is to your point you know they're breaking the device apart now. The phone fundamentally is a single aggregated device. We had to do that because the network bandwidth was not sufficiently good enough so everything came local to process and to and now that the bandwidth's getting better yeah. when 5G eventually rolls out and I know EE's got its first network out and you know it's beginning to happen when that does happen properly then you know yes you know in, it, it's computing at the edge as you called it and, mm. and but devices and materials and clothing will become much more intelligent yeah. IOT the internet of things will become much more intelligent you know I've got a Nest thermostat it's a pretty dumb thermostat fundamentally mm. it's pretty but it's dumb and yeah. i've got alexas and they're they're intelligent but they're not really mm. um and know. most of these things aren't really beautifully connected either it's all a bit clunky and you again we're talking about accessibility with podcasts the same with this kind of stuff it's just you know you and i we're geeky we love this tech we play with it but how many times you swear at it and go oh, why isn't it working and what's wrong with it until that smooths itself out it's not going to reach the masses in the way that we want to but that's not going to take long um, so, you know, 5G is another part of that step forward. Um, but, you know, it's, it's, it's still early days, but there's lots of exciting things ahead of us. Yeah, we had a guest on, Paul Ayres, my ex-boss from Netscape, who's got a company which is putting 5G on the curb and, and, and for it's a combination of 5G repeaters and um, the ability to plug in your electric car at the same point. It's super so, cool, yeah. So that's, a, a, again, you know, and that's coming to Maidenhead, actually. It's quite interesting because he's mm. doing the pilot around here. And, but, you know, there's so much that will come. I just think it's just going to be, um, well, you know, Apple haven't even announced the 5G phone yet. So, and, and you know, yes, Samsung claim they've got one coming out and it's an upgrade. But it's really very early days. And if you look at what America does, it's it was like LTE. It was 4G light, you know. Mm. It's 5G lights out yeah. there now and they're selling it. So there's going to be a lot of hype, I think, yeah. for a couple of years still. And look, don't get fooled by it as well. You Some some um, handsets will actually show 5G now and it, it looks like you've got 5G and they're doing it particularly in America, I've noticed. And um, yeah. But your phone isn't really seeing 5G. 
5G and it's not 5G because you have your phone has to be enabled. There are very few. There's the the Samsung um, 19, I think they, they call it. Um, and um, but the, as Robert said the other day, we're not expecting to see Apple do this until you know 2021. Yeah. Um, why? Because you won't need it until 2021. The infrastructure is not going to be there, and even no. then, it's still going to be very early. Um, it's exciting to talk about all the great things that you know you, you, you know that you can do with it, um, but we, we are a little while away from it just now. Yeah, I mean, I've got a 6S Plus still. I haven't had a need to upgrade. I just don't see the additional value add in the the X, the nine, the eight, and whatever. Mm. Um, and I've been holding off. I was I was hoping that it was going to be an Amazon phone, but I got told by Amazon there isn't going to be an Amazon phone. So just forget that yeah, idea. Yeah. I got told by two very senior Amazon people. Nope, that ain't happening. So mm. the Amazon Phoenix phone, as I called it, doesn't. Exist. No. Um, so, uh, and I'm not an Android person, so um, mm. it's going to be another iPhone, but my little 6S will just have to last another 18 months. Um, I'm sure it works perfectly fine. <laughs> and one of the things you did talk about was you, you know, you live in Kent and you drove up today, and that yep. would be a great environment for. Uh, lampposts along the way for 5G. Um, I just noticed in the news today, and it'd be interesting to see what you think, Apple finally have broken cover and they've announced that they've bought a company called Drive AI for autonomous driving startups. So, um, yes, Waymo with Google Mm -hmm. and, you know, we've got various other ones. Looks like Apple is getting into the... uh, uh, autonomous driving model as well now. Well, that'd be silly not to, right? I mean, you know... um it's going to be a big market. Um, I, I, I love what Tesla are doing. I think you know, Tesla are doing some amazing stuff and, you know, they're very early stage. Are they going to be the winner at the end of the day? No, who who knows? Probably not. Um, but, Sadly, you know, I think they'll have broken ground and then get swallowed up. Let's see. I don't know if you saw um, uh, what what Tesla have done with their... Um, uh, I can't remember what they call it. I think they call it... Um, to robotic driving or something so they, they've got a software update that they reckon they're going to do in the next year which will basically um oh, it's robot taxis they call it so basically it, it will turn your car into like a taxi have you seen that no and I so that one. I, I saw uber have got flying taxis coming out right there's that and there's obviously flying deliveries from amazon and what and have drones, you but, the, yeah. um, but the, you know in a year's time elon musk says that um that the, you can basically turn your tesla into a taxi so there's only so many hours uh, a day or a week that you usually your, your sorry use your car and um so you know if you're if you're not using it for a few days you can basically just turn it into an autonomous taxi and it will go out and act as a taxi and deliver people and so on i think and it's you more can, than next year i mean it, it, look i, I yeah, go back I'm, to I'm, this yeah uh, he, he says he says you can enable the software next year but there's a whole there's lots of infrastructure legal issues and all kinds of other things that need to come behind that but it's, i think it's an example of how things whether tesla are the winner at that but you know i look at that and i say do you know what when that happens i'll just go and buy 10 teslas and stick them on the road and, and just earn money from them because you know i don't need to drive them if they're earning money and they're earning me more money than it costs me to own them then why not yeah and that's going to be the interesting thing can can they self-generate in terms of that um i think ownership i think looking at our children ownership of house uh car all cars yeah yeah someone's got to own them you just said you, you're gonna buy them someone <laughs> has to own them right they're not magic they don't sort of mm-hmm. exist in the ether so somebody will own houses somebody will own cars somebody will so maybe it's the the rich one percent will own the 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 asset property and everyone yep. else will license it or share it or or whatever um but yeah i think 5g autonomous cars the whole area it's really interesting but andy we've 
sadly we've come to the end of the show it's wow. been um, amazing it's a fascinating chat yeah uh, have you enjoyed it it's been amazing thank you very much for your time oh pleasure. lovely to uh, hang out with you and um looking forward to going for a drink now yes it's very warm in the studio now yeah. you've got one track that you wanted me to play out one. yeah it's Sweet Disposition, what's that? Sweet Disposition uh, by Younger. And so we started out um, on the music side of things with Howard Jones and you know, back in 1983 when he introduced synthesizers and so on. Um, this is uh, a guy called Younger. So it's Younger spelt with an, without an E at the end, so it's Young R at the end. Um, look him up on YouTube and watch his videos and you'll see this guy, he, he basically plays a whole song on his own he plays all the instruments he sings the song um and uh, and he does it live and he uses all these looping technologies and so on but it's real it's it's just the demonstration of the leap between where we were with howard jones to, and, and where we are today with younger and technology and how entertainment and technology come together and i just love that i love music and, and i love this song it's really uplifting so hopefully you enjoy it as much as i do next week on the show is david terror we're going to be talking about enterprise and SaaS software and all those things um i'll be putting up the podcast for this wonderful show later on today so go to Sam Talks Technology on Facebook you'll find the interview there if you missed any of it today with Andy uh, obviously please subscribe to the Facebook page please subscribe to the podcast as well until next week I'm going to leave you with Sweet Disposition have a great week If you want to see more of that, please go to YouTube, look up Sweet.